Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. Our next guest is uh, is super special, 12-time PGA Tour winner. He was a two-time PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. He was the, uh, the captain of the winning 2021 Ryder Cup team and uh, coming off some health scares, but he seems to be on the mend now, Mr. Steve Stricker. Steve, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Chase, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hal, thanks for having me. It's been a while since I've seen you, so good to see you, my friend. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. We're excited to have you on. I know uh, a lot of our guests are interested in quite a few things that you might have to say right now with the, the Ryder Cup going uh, the positive direction for the U.S. All the people out there were excited about it. So why don't you share with us uh, your thoughts of general thoughts about the Ryder Cup and what you thought of Whistling Straits as a uh, venue for it? Sure. Um well, it couldn't have gone any better, right? I mean, we set a, uh, a scoring record. Uh, the guys had a wonderful time. Um, the camaraderie amongst our players was uh, one of the best I've seen. Uh, we made picks based on how guys would get along with one another. You know, I think that was a big part of our picks leading uh, up, to, up to the Ryder Cup, uh, along with the guys playing well and, and guys that we thought fit whistling straights, uh, you know, because it's a big hitters golf course. So we wanted guys that would hit it long uh, and playing well and get along with each other. So it was, uh, it was, it was a great team. I was fortunate, you know, never thought I'd have that opportunity. You know how special of an opportunity that is Helen. Um, you just never, I never thought I'd have that opportunity, but to have it there at whistling straights in my home state, uh, and to win in, in that type of fashion that we did was really, really pretty special. Awesome. So uh, encounter any unusual thing while you were there? I know having been a Ryder Cup captain, there's unexpected things all the time. Was, did you have anything like that? Not, not too many. Uh, we had one probably uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, we had Justin Thomas going back out in the afternoon on uh, Saturday, going to play with Jordan. Um, and, and to be quite honest, uh, we heard it from a, a few people that Justin looked tired. Uh, he was hitting some shots that uh, weren't typical of Justin Thomas. Um, so we, we pulled him out. Um, and, and Jordan and him, you know, they, they took it well. But, you know, when you think you're going to go back out in the afternoon, you know, uh, it's a little bit of a shock, but we threw uh, Brooks Kepka in with Jordan, and um, and and you know that that was a little bit of a surprise. But we we did some different things. We got guys on the same page early in the week. You know, I told them what was going to happen on Monday uh, for Friday, um, so we could prepare for the week. Um, uh, guys were ready for their for their format, you know? Uh, so we knew what we were going to do Friday, uh, right away on Monday. And those guys, um, like I said, we're playing great coming in. It's a different breed. You've seen it, Hal. It, it's a different breed. These guys have proven themselves on the big stage already at a young age. Uh, and they came into this Ryder cup with a ton of confidence, uh, playing well, 
and and they didn't they didn't back down. Do you think, Steve? Do you think that's kind of a blueprint going forward for future captains trying to you know kind of let the players know who they're going to be playing with early on, um, kind of have a game plan early on to let them prepare? Or you know, do you think that? I mean, how big of a role do you think that played in in the success of them playing so well? I don't know how big a role it played, uh, but I think it's always good to know uh, kind of the plan uh, going forward. I think I think throwing guys a curveball. Um, what I've been, a, you know, I've been an assistant captain on you know maybe four or five other teams, and um, you know that hasn't gone over well when guys get thrown a curveball. So. My goal was to get everybody along with the assistant captains, you know, what, what role they were playing and uh, just to get everybody on the same page uh, to know what was going on uh, so they could prepare for the week and, and not really get thrown in curveballs. And, uh, but these guys are just good, you know, and, and we had a practice round early, you know, all these guys, we missed one guy for the practice round. That was Brooks Kepkin. He was out with injury. Otherwise, every player came along with every assistant captain. So that shows you their level of commitment um, and willingness to uh, get a little bit of an advantage when we could. Uh, and they they showed up and then prepared that week ahead of time and uh, and then came back knowing what to do that next week. So... Uh... I'm curious, you know, I got a lot of criticism for putting Tiger and Phil together back <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, and you had the Brooks and the Bryson feud going on. Was yeah. there ever any consideration of putting them together? Oh yeah, there sure was. And, and there wasn't to start with, but they both came to me uh, with the willingness to be paired with, with each other. Um, so that tells you right there how close this team was. And they both came to me saying, um, you know, we'll do whatever's in the best interest of the team. Uh, we're here for you. We will play together. Um, so we had that in our back pocket um, and it was there for us to use. I didn't really want to use it because I thought that story and you, you found that out how, right? and I, and I, you know, even took your situation and, and thought about it. Um, but that story becomes bigger than the story itself, right? I mean, if those two guys, uh, Brooks and Bryson, would have been paired together, that story would have been bigger than the team, bigger than the Ryder Cup, because they would have gotten all the attention. So we had that if we wanted to use it, if we were down to provide a spark to, you know, to have that was, was really uh, – was really cool on their part to come forward like that and to uh, put everything aside uh, if we wanted to use them. So it's interesting you bring that up because I had in my mind before we ever went up there that I was going to pair Tiger and Phil together, but I never told anyone, not even the assistant captains, <laughs> because I didn't want it to become a bigger story than the Ryder Cup. Right. It, until the last minute when you have to announce that it's going to be that way, you know, and, and of course, Phil was angry with me all the time because I didn't do it. But I mean, he, Tiger never said a word about who he was going to be playing with. He didn't care. You know, when you're really, really good, you don't care. Right. <laughs> Just you're show right. me the golf course in the first day. Let me show you where I'm going with it. Yeah, no doubt. So, and, and there's a lot of guys like that. And, and uh, on this team specifically that I can talk about, it's, it's, these guys showed a willingness to be with anybody. Um, 
for the most part, you know, there's always a couple guys where, you know, those pairings aren't going to work. Right. But for the most part, these guys were like, Hey, you put me with anybody, but I had these groups kind of together weeks ahead of time. And I kept calling these guys and I said, this is what I'm thinking about. You know, it's not set in stone, but how do you like it? Uh, I did a lot of communicating with these guys leading up to it just to make sure that they were good in their groups uh, and not really deviate much from that, um, especially in the in the foursomes, you know, in that alternate shot, you want to make sure that guy's comfortable. And then, um, you know, with Tiger helping from afar and all my assistant captains, we had calls all the time to um, to kind of get these groups going and put it in place. And uh, so the communication amongst all of us, especially assistant captains, they were great. They, you know, Tiger, you know, that was another thing, you know, where he uh, he was helping us all along leading up to the Ryder Cup from home, right? We would get on these Zoom calls just like we're doing now, and um, he's laying in his bed, just can't really move, and and helping us out with pairings and uh, what he's hearing from his guys down there, and and then you know he was going to be an assistant captain, he was going to be there with us, and again he um, he knew that his story was going to be bigger than the Ryder Cup. Uh, And he didn't want to lead or he didn't want to have that become a problem amongst the team uh, to, to be a distraction amongst the guys. Um, So he's like, you know, I'm better just staying home. So we knew, um, and that's just the kind of guy he is, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been really good when it comes to being assistant. You know, I was a part of with him up at Davis uh, Hazel team when Davis is a captain and he was, an assistant up there and he's he's uh he's a better assistant than he is a player if you can believe that (laughs) steve do you think that this group was you know from the outside watching it seemed like this group was a really tight-knit group um do you feel like that was the case and do you think because one of the things that we've always thought europeans tended to play better in the Ryder cup at least the last four or five Ryder cups because you know they've traveled together they grew up together they've just been a closer group than the americans and you've played on a bunch of teams too do you think that that narrative has any any merit at all? And do you think that this group was, in fact, as tight as it looked like on TV? They, they were really tight. Um, a lot of these guys grew up playing, playing uh, amateur golf together, college golf together, even junior golf together. Uh, some of these guys did, or they knew of each other at that age. Um, I think that's a little bit of uh, BS when I hear that. Um, that these teams aren't close knit. Uh, I don't know what your experiences were, how over the years, but all the teams I've been a part of, uh, I thought the guys got along very well and were willing to do anything for the team. Uh, I've never really, there may be a guy or two, like what we came into with Bryson and Brooks that you don't wanna put together. But for the most part, everybody's there, you know, to achieve that one goal. And um, I, I just have never found that to be the case. I, I think if anything, sometimes we have felt too much pressure and maybe uh, ex- you know, we're expected to win. Um, you know, that Europeans play that underdog role. Uh, they play it very well. Uh, they're very good players. Um, they, they had seemed to make all the right shots and all the right putts, you know, of late. Um, but I, I think, I think uh, all the teams I've been a part of, the team has been very cohesive and, and this was no different. Uh, I would say this has been 
this last one was uh, probably the closest knit of all the teams I've been on just because of the, uh, the guys, like I said, playing together and they were young and they've known each other for a long time. And, um, but it, it's, uh, it's for the most part, it's always been like that. So I, one of the things that I think is, is there wasn't as big a discrepancy in age for your yep. team. Everybody was near the same age. A lot of the teams that I was part of, there was a lot, you know, there were 20, 25 years of difference in age. Yeah. That couple of generations right there, they don't think alike at that point. And I mean, you agree with that? You're shaking your head. Yes. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I mean, like I said, these guys grew up with one another and you're right. Uh, I was a part of a team when I was, you know, fairly young and, you know, you're playing with 40 some year old guys or upper thirties guys that you've watched on TV for the last 10 years and you really don't know them. And, you know, you're just maybe coming into your own or whatever. And then you may even be a little bit intimidated by uh, your partner, you know, and that, that wasn't the case here. These guys are showing off against one another. You know, they're like, Oh, I'm going to beat you. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to hit it inside you. And, you know, the, the practice rounds were really light. The, the, the week before was really, really light. I mean, they just had a good time with one another. And I think that week before, uh, if, if there was one thing that we could do on a yearly basis, and it's hard, it's hard, especially when you go overseas to get everybody together. But I think that really got these guys together kind of broke the ice. It's like a new, uh, new girlfriend, right? I mean, it's just like you get that out of the way that week before. And, and then when you see that person the next week, you, you know, you're already comfortable with that person and, um, you know, you're ready to go. So, um, yeah, these guys, I think you're right. The age difference was, was, uh, that's a spot on, uh, uh, thought you had there, Hal, because they did, they just, they're, they're so good with each other and they played with each other for so long. Well, let's, let's talk about Steve Stricker for a little bit instead of the Ryder Cup. <laughs> I, I don't know your health. Ryder Cup. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes talking about the Ryder Cup, but you know, we've been friends for a long time, Steve. We've got some common hobbies. You know, I know you love yep. to hunt and, and you love the outdoors. Uh, but let's talk about Steve Stricker, the golfer for a minute. You've done so many things. You've had such a great career. You've uh, won at will on the Champions Tour. And I know you've been sick, but what are your goals going forward? Yeah, my goal is to get better. First of all, I've got a ways to go. We've talked about that a little bit off, off uh, camera a little bit where, you know, I've lost a bunch of weight. I'm down about 20, 25 pounds now. I put some on, um, had a little bit of a health scare in the fall. Uh, but knock on wood, things are going in the right direction. And uh, it's probably going to take me, you know, a couple of months yet just to get my strength. I was, I hit a driver, a couple of drivers the other day, you know, of my daughter's, uh, you know, she hits it out there about two 30 and that's about all I could hit it, you know, uh, her regular shaft, but I just had a hard time, you know, with strength. Um, and you don't realize how many muscles, uh, you use when you start to swing the golf club. And, um, I just lost, you know, so much muscle and all my fat, you know, it's just, I look like an 85 year old guy with skin hanging off me. So it's, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, and I, it's going to take a couple of months. I'm not going to go back out there until I feel strong and be able to walk. I don't want to go in a cart. Um, so I've, you know, got some challenges. I got another MRI 
coming up at the end of this month uh, to see if this inflammation around my heart has gone away and then I can hopefully get back after it. And, but I'm feeling better. I'm eating a little bit better and, and uh, starting to put a little weight on, I think. But I want to get out there and play. I love to play. I love the competition and get back out there and play some on that Champions Tour. Well, so I'm going to stretch you a little bit here. You're not a participator. You like to win. So oh, yeah. I know you like to win. So when you go back, uh, you, you, I'm certain I'm not putting words in your mouth here. I know you want to go back out there to compete. And, yeah. and that's why you're, you don't want to just go say hi to everybody. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah, I don't. And that's what I told uh, my wife and daughters, you know, they're like, when are you going to get back out there? You can go in a cart. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to go out there so I can dink it around and shoot 73 or four, you know, and, or even par. I'm going to go out there when I'm ready and then strong enough and hitting it like I was hitting it before I left, because I think that's where I can get back to. I think I can get back to that strength, that distance, um, I was in good shape going into this sickness, um, this little health scare. So I don't think um, there's any reason for me not to think that I can't get back to that strength if everything is okay. So um, that's my plan is to get back full strength and then go out there so I can compete right away. Well, a little advice, which you don't need any, you get it from everybody. But uh, <laughs> one thing that I do know something about is I played for a while hurting and not did. prepared and I took on some bad habits because I still trying to score even though I couldn't get in certain positions and yeah. you know I ended up hurting other things by doing that and you know if I had it to do over again I went ahead and got my hip replaced immediately instead of playing with a bad hip for a long time so get yourself healthy before you go back out there and then go back out there with your your deep will to win I appreciate that. And I'll take that for sure to heart. And, and I know that a lot of guys, it's easy to do, right? I mean, we're all competitors and we all like, I can go out there and, and make it happen. I'll get it around somehow. And then all of a sudden, because your hip is bothering you or you're not as strong, you start putting that club in a different position than what you're, com you know, you're used to. And then you start compensating, right? And uh, how many times we've all heard that story. So my goal is to go back out there as strong or better than I, uh, than I left. Steve, you were, you were a back-to-back -back comeback player of the year on the PGA tour. I don't think that's ever been done and maybe won't ever be done again. Um, I want you to talk, we talk a lot on here about mindset and how difficult this game is and, and fighting back from, from struggles. And, and you went through some, let's, let's say, quote unquote, some dark times and, and, yeah. and lost your card and had to fight back and you fought it back all the way to number two player in the world. Um, Talk a little bit about how you did it. What you had, what you had had to overcome, even if it's, even if you get technical with like golf swing wise, like what did you have to do to, to, to get your game back? Yeah. I, first of all, I had to realize that I, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I thought about, well, shoot, I could just be happy with playing my 10, 12 events a year. You know, uh, when, when my category got in, you know, try to make hundred, a couple hundred thousand and, you know, just be good with that and be a dad and, but I'm like, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to, I want to be better. And this is what I was meant to do. And uh, this is what I've done my entire life. I'm probably not capable of doing anything else besides, you know, I, I what else am I going to do? You know, so um, decided just to put in the time, you know, and, and really what happened was I, I took ownership of my swing. I, uh, 
I, my father-in-law is my teacher, but I, I said, uh, his name is Dennis Tiziani. And I said, Tiz, this is what I want to do. I'm like, I feel like this is what's going. I was long and across the line uh, when I was playing poorly. I'm like, I got to get this club under control at the top. I'm like, it's just all over the place. And, you know, then it leads to, you know, different impact positions, different releases, all this kind of stuff. You're trying to save it. You know, it just wasn't very consistent when it was off. So uh, I think the biggest thing is I just went to work harder, took ownership uh, and, and just kind of rededicated myself to getting better and, and um, trying to get better. And then taking my time doing it, you know, just gave myself a little bit of a break and uh, I would slowly see um, progress, you know, if it was, even if it was in a practice round or in a pro-am and then I didn't see it in the tournament, but I'm like, Hey, you know what? I was doing some better things and tried to get the ball going in one direction, you know, and it, and that was a draw. So I just kind of went back to some basic things and I think communicated with my teacher, my father-in-law better. And we went to work and I put the time in, in the winter time, you know, we were in a trailer, I had mirrors around. So I just kept putting it in the spot that I wanted to put it in, never meaning it to get this short as it did the top of my backswing, but found out really quick that um, you can play from there and, and be pretty consistent. And, and that's what, that's what happened. My consistency really came back, drove the ball, which was the problem before started driving the ball really a lot better and then started seeing signs, which gave me the confidence to keep doing, doing that. And I still work. The funny thing is I still work on the same things today as I did back in 2005 when, when uh, I decided I, I needed to put in more time. How long did it take you? Do you think to like really own that confidence? Like you could do it under the gun and, and you knew it was going to hold up. You know, it was uh, so 2005, the winter of 2005 and the early part of 2006 is when I really put in the time, uh, played Pebble Beach, ended up finishing like uh, 14th or something like that, but kind of scraped it around. Uh, but then got in a couple more tournaments here or there, played Houston and finished third. That gave me some confidence. But then it was the U.S. Open at Wingfoot that year in 2006, uh, I was right up near the lead going into Saturday. Uh, and then actually played, I don't know what I ended I didn't, I don't know what I ended up finishing, but anyways, I, I drove the ball really well on the weekend in contention at a U.S. open, uh, tough place to drive the ball as well. Uh, so that, that gave me a ton of confidence. Um, you know, and even, even had the Ryder cup captain's eye that year, I think it was Tom Lehman, and 06 uh, overseas. So um, even had his eye, uh, you know, so I, it really happened fairly quick for me, but it, you know, I, I got some real good confidence uh, boosting events under my belt and showed me that things were definitely going in the right direction. So that was pretty important. What you just said, some confident boosting events. Yeah. So that's in tournament competition. It's not watching it fly at your home golf course the way you want it to fly. Right. Right. You're, you're exactly right. And there's all sorts of different levels. And like I said, I would, I would start to see it on the range in the winter time up, up off of mats, right. And up in Wisconsin. Then, then when I went to an event, you know, I started seeing some better shots in the practice round. And then I took it to, 
even the pro-ams, you know, you want to play well, at least I do. I want to play well in the pro-ams because it's the day before and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, then I started seeing some better results even during the pro-ams. So then, you know, slowly it just started creeping into, you know, under the gun shots and, um, you know, during those competitive days where that's where it really means everything. And, and then when you can do it under the biggest stage, like at a U.S. Open um, and drive the ball well and, and do some better things, that really gave me the, the confidence knowing that I was, on, you know, going in the right direction. So, Steve, when you feel it creeping the other way, and even, even back at that, that 06 U.S. Open, when you feel it creeping long and across, um, will you <laughs> – Will you add some intention or add some feels while you're out on the golf course of feeling like it's laid off? Are you ever a swing thought guy out there or do you just kind of think more target oriented and just let it go? Yeah, I got to the point of where it was so ingrained of where it was. It was, it got, it got pretty short. Um, it's shorter now just because I'm, I've gotten older and I can't get it back there as far, but um it, it, it got to a point where it was pretty ingrained in there. And I had a couple of really simple swing thoughts. And one of them uh, was a grip pressure thing. Um, I, I like to grip it really firmly in my left hand. And, and I noticed when I did that, it kind of kept it um, in this, in the shorter, in the shorter spot and a real solid spot. So then it became, you know, uh, almost a rotational thing for me. Um, where I didn't have a lot of set, but I had nice rotation, got the club in a good spot. Then I could actually swing my arms as fast as I could because I, I really didn't have a lot of unhinging to do because the club was right in front of me because I didn't take it back very far. And then I didn't set it very far either. So uh, it became a rotational thing. And that's really what I still work on today. Nice firm grip pressure at the top. Uh, and this rotation on the way back. And then I can really try to hit it as hard as I want because I don't have a lot to unhinge. And, and the club seems to be pretty much in my center all the time. And, um, you know, it, it's been pretty consistent. So again, I've worked on those same things and they, have, they weren't really big things after a while, but uh, the same simple little things since, uh, you know, shoot 15 years ago, 16 years ago. You said arm speed allowed you to swing your arms as fast as you could swing them. Yep. Key to, key to distance right there. It is. And it's, it's hard too, because I, I, I try to help my daughters now and my wife and my wife sets the, um, she sets it so much and I, and I'll try to swing like that. I'm like, okay, if I were to set that really far and deep like that, well, that's got to unhinge. So you got to have, I mean, with that arm speed for me, because I don't have a lot of unhinging to do, it's, I can swing them as fast as I want. And then, you know, just let the club fall down a little bit. But if you really hinge, you know, hinge it like my wife or, you know, a lot of these guys, that's how they hit it the long ways too. They hinge it a lot. They, they have a big set, but you know, at some point that's got to unhinge, right? I mean, that's got to come back to straight and, but they're moving their arms and their body as fast as they can. And they're using their hands as fast as they can. And trying to time all that up and that's that's the key isn't it Hal? i mean to time all that movement all that movement up uh with each other but um fortunately i got it to a spot where um i didn't have a lot of movement you know and uh 
So when I start to help my daughters, I got to try to like, okay, what does that feel like? So I'll put it up there and I'm like, wow, that feels awful. <laughs> I gotta unhinge all that. <laughs> well, all I know is, is you pitching the ball, you know, shorter shots, you look so dynamic doing it. It's unbelievable because you don't have a lot of unhinging to do right. with that. Yeah. Thank you. And, I, and you're world-class, no, no doubt about it at it. So something to be admired by many. Yeah, thank you. And, it, and I think people are, have, you know, if other players have started to do that more, you know, uh, that business of hinging a lot on the way back has kind of gone away. It's become more of an arm swing uh, type of movement, you know, some rotation to the right and then some rotation to the left. And, and just uh, Jason Day does it, you know, almost to an extreme. He looks like he doesn't do any hinging at all, right? So it's, uh, I think a lot of guys have found that it's a, it's a pretty simple way to play and uh, it's re repetitive, which is what we're all looking for. And they can, they can do that on a daily basis. Yeah, one of the things I say around here all the time, Chase can echo this if he wants, but I don't like to see the hinge stand out. I like a hinge that I don't even see, basically. It's just part of the rotational motion. Right. You're shaking your head. You like that too, huh? I like that too. I, I actually said that to my daughter yesterday. I'm like, actually my wife, because my wife likes to just snap it away right away, you know? And I'm like, can we just move our arms and have that hinge happen as we're rotating and turning back? So I, I, I agree with you. It's almost like, and Tiger does that so well too. I mean, if you watch him, his arms are going so far back. I mean, without, it doesn't look like his, his wrists are hinging at all, but they're rotating. And then when he gets to the top, I mean, he's, he's hinged, he's fully, you know, loaded uh, in a great set position, but it doesn't look like he did anything to get there, you know, and, and to your point, it's like, it's all together. It's just all together. And it looks like it's uh, an effortless position to get to. Yeah. The, yeah well, Go ahead, Chase. Uh, I was just gonna say the best are setting it, but that doesn't look like they're forcing the set. Like I, I like right. I like how you guys both worded it. It's funny. I've always to me, there's two types of pitchers or chippers. There's the the Jason Day, like you said so eloquently, is is almost on the other end of the spectrum of no set at all. Yeah. You're 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 on the less set, and then there's you know Sevy and like the the old, older school guys. Let's say that set it more. And I've always been a setter. I've always set it more, and I've always tried to to do it more like you guys. And I've always had a hard time finding the bottom that way. And I, I think if like you figured out the best way to do it for yourself, and that's that's the way that works. And I think it you know we've got to you know figure out who you are and and what works for you and then and then make it work and i but i i I'll echo again i think what you guys said about we don't want to really see like some teachers teach max set some teachers teach max width and i think it's a blend between the two i don't think either is necessarily yeah. the answer i think you're right i'm no teacher uh i try to be one but it's uh with my kids and wife but it it's uh it is it's like whatever you can control the club face with and how you look like you had control when you're playing your best and you can tell me if I'm high or what, but it, it just looked like you had so much control of the club face. And that's what the best players in the world do. Uh, you know, they know where, you know, the back of their hand left hand is compared to that club face. And they, 
they can control that, whatever they want to do coming into the impact area. If they're like, oh, oh, it's a little behind, you know, you can get it up ahead, you know, get it back into there. If it's, you know, if you've already maybe released it a touch early, you can kind of hold it off. Or if you're drawing it, you know, you're just rotating it. Uh, you know, it's just, I think the best players that have ever played this game, they just have such good control of their club face and, and, and know where it is at all times. Well, when I was playing, I, I use the term around here a lot, quiet hands. You know, if I had to be active with my hands, I knew something else wasn't moving. Yeah. And, you know, I hated when I felt like my hands had to be fast because I was having to correct something. If, if my hands had to be fast, because you're right, I knew where the club face was. Yeah. If the club face was out of position, then I had to speed up somewhere to try to make it happen before impact. And, you know, the sudden burst of speed is the correction. It's never the mistake. Good point. Yeah, I've never thought about that, but you're right. It's, uh, and everybody's different, you know, I think. And that's that's the cool part and the unique part of this game is that uh, when you guys are teaching or helping anybody, it's, um, you got to take into account what they're doing. And it may not be your way, but some way that, you know, that they can do because it's uh, everybody swings at a different to Chase's point. You know, I mean, you know, I'm trying to get my wife to kind of like not hinge it, but you know, I don't know if that's good for her. Right. She, she likes to whip that up there like Seve and, but then all of a sudden she doesn't turn, you know, I mean, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be able to do it all, but it's not for everybody. It's, it's a hard game. The, the blending of, of the wrists and the, and how the, how her arm bends or how everybody's arms bend to me is the key. And we talk about that. How, and I talk like how was kind of, he always said he was a late setter, but he kind of bent his arm. So he would kind of set yeah. the club this way. And so a lot of ladies will overset their right arm and their, and their wrist hinges get all the wrist angles get all messed up. So then to your point, they don't turn like right here. I'm not, I haven't turned my chest at all because the right arm bent too, too much. And so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a crazy, crazy game that we're all trying to, trying to, you guys have, have conquered it and played it at the highest level, but even you guys are still grinding on it and trying to, oh, yeah. trying to learn and get better. Um, you've mentioned Tiger a couple of times and I, I, I want to, how mentioned your short game. I want to talk about your putting a little bit, you know, you've, it's been, it's, you see it on the golf channel and stuff, Tiger talking to you about your, about putting and this and that. And I just want to, I want to hear a little bit about your, your commandments on putting and, and, and help our listeners at home with, with their putting. Yeah. Well, my, um, my deal with putting has always been to keep it super simple. Um, you know, from day one, when I was a junior golfer, um, to, to how I play today. Uh, and that's really, I'm a left-sided putter. I, I'm a left-handed putter, let's say. And again, I, I like to grip it. Uh, and I've asked a ton of players, you know, how firm their grip is uh, in their, when they're putting it. Um, and you'll get, you know, all sorts of different responses. Um, I've asked the best putters in the world, you know, and, and again, it's all over the, all over the place. Uh, I like to grip it really firm in my left hand. And I like to keep that dish in the back of my left hand, very firm. And I've always just kind of putted that back of my left hand down the line. Uh, so really, it, again, it becomes simple in my own mind um, to have a straight back. I try to go straight back and straight through um, and then try to keep that blade as straight as I can uh, with the firm back of my left hand. Um, 
and that's gotten harder as I've gotten older. You know, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to, you know, grip it as tight, uh, for whatever reason, uh, could be nerves, could be whatever, but, um, it, it's, uh, that part's gotten a little bit harder, but, uh, when I was putting my best, I just, I locked that thing in there and, and, um, tried to move that pendulum, that triangle that I created between my shoulders all the way down to my hands, uh, just try to move that, <coughs> excuse me. You've putted with, from what I've noticed with the, the, the toe on the ground a little bit more, maybe a higher handle. Is that something on purpose or is that just comfortable or it's kind of worked, its, <laughs> worked its way that way over time? Um, it, it kind of has always been that way. I think the putter is really not set up for me. Um, I think it was, um, you know, not, not, uh, <clears throat> you know, it needed to be a little bit more upright. And, and I started putting with this putter, <clears throat> excuse me. And it just became what I, you know, got, uh, it became what I got used to basically and how the rotation is. If I ever try a putter now that the heel is sitting on the ground, there's more rotation, more hook rotation to that putter. Um, so it, that's a challenge I've tried. I've tried to get that heel on the ground, but it's the way the putter comes through um, based on that lie of the putter that I have grown to like. So I just keep it that way. It's not ideal. I don't, you know, like when I watch my daughters, I don't try to teach that, you know, I like to get that heel on the ground. I think it's, it would be easier for me to keep that thing square if I had the heel on the ground, but that, but that would mean I'd keep my hands in the same position, but then just, you know, make the putter a little bit more upright. And then that would make it easier to keep square. But uh, I think I've just grown to like it that way and like the rotation of the putter going through that way. And, and I've always just kept it that way. So I want to go back to something you said earlier. Sounds to me like, uh, so goes Steve Stricker's driver. So goes Steve Stricker, the player. Is that right? Kind of. It, it was, it was back when I was playing poorly, I drove it awful. Uh, and then when I was playing my best and got up to number two in the world, I putted really well. I had a good short game and I drove it really well. And you know, if you can do those three things, you're going to hit okay irons. Uh, you know, I tried not to make any bogeys or any mistakes. My, my bogey avoidance uh, number was really good at the time. I just said, you know what, if you're, if it, and I got a little bit smarter and just said, don't fire at pins that are uncomfortable, you know, put them in the center of the green uh, two putt, get your par. There'll be other opportunities, you know, par fives, wedges in your hands where that's my strength. So I just, I played smarter, but I figured if I could chip putt and drive the ball, well, um, you're going to do really well on tour. And I just saw just on that same note, Cam Smith won yesterday and he was the first guy in quite some time. I, I forget the number of years that he'd led the event in strokes game putting and strokes game driving it. So that shows you, if you can putt it and drive it, <clears throat> you're going to do okay. Yeah. Well, you won't remember this. I don't think you and I played together at Houston, the first two rounds, uh, after we left TPC and went to, uh, the, uh, golf club of Houston members yep. course. Do you, do you remember us playing together? I do remember that. And you had a bad two days of driving the ball. And, you know, uh, 
I could tell your short game was unbelievable. And uh, so you described yourself early on right there. One of the things that we talk about in here all the time, and I try to get people to understand this, you know, when you saw then that you had to improve your driver to be the player you dreamed about being, yep. but you would never turn your driver into your strength because your short game was so good. I've seen players destroy their game as a player trying to turn a weakness into a strength because they didn't work as hard on their strength. Right. And you agree with that theory? I, I do agree with that theory. And I, you know, I had to go to work on my weakness, but yet you have to keep your strengths at, at the highest level because those are your strengths. If you, right. if you um, put those on the back burner, all of a sudden those become a weakness, right? So you still have to, I still put, you know, when I was playing out there playing at the highest level that I ever played at, I, I still putted and chipped to no end. But I also worked on all my weaknesses too. You know, I, I knew I needed to be a better driver of the ball. I knew I needed to be a better iron player. Uh, I never was a great iron player. I was a good short iron player, but never a great like mid iron to long iron player. Um, but I knew if I could drive it in the fairway, I was good enough to get it on the greens, let my putter, you know, do do what it should do. And if I missed, you know, keep working on that short game because short games out there. Uh, putting in short game is king out there on tour, and and if you can't do that, um, you're you're always going to struggle, and that's what you see nowadays. Guys have unbelievable short games, and they they all seem to putt it well, and uh, and I was no different. I I still work very hard on my strengths. Steve, there you what? go. I hope everybody was listening to that. <laughs> Steve, what you've played in a ton of pro-ams. What's one mistake that you'd like to see amateurs or the or the guys you play with never make again? Oh boy, you know, I think it's just course management skills. You know, I, again, I I play so much with my daughters and and wife, and you know, just like laying up on a par five, they'll lay it up into a bunker or something like that. You know, and and then blade it out of the bunker. But if they didn't lay it up in the bunker, you know, they probably would have knocked it on the green, two putted, maybe made a birdie, you know, stuff like that. But I think it's just the course management stuff. Uh, and maybe they're not, you know, thinking, you know, hey, I want to lay it up in the bunker, but uh, they hit a bad shot to get it in there. But take that out of play altogether. Don't hit a club that can get you in the bunker or don't take on more than what you're even capable of doing. Uh, you know, like if, if it's 240 to cover the bunker and, and this guy's like, Hey, well, if I max out my uh, three wood, you know, I can cover the bunker, but you know, he hits it a little thin. Now he's in the bunker. Now he ends up making a six, you know? So it's, it can happen really fast. The guy could have laid up short of it, but, and then knocked it out. You know what I mean? So just don't even take clubs that can get you into trouble. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, course management. And uh, obviously they don't get to practice as much and short game, you know, is, is not very strong usually. So uh, but they can sure cut down on the number of strokes if they just manage their way around the course a little bit better. No doubt. Steve, thanks for being on. Uh, man, great job at the Ryder Cup. You pulled everybody together, and, and uh, it looked great on TV. I hope, you know, one thing that I was worried about, you might know the answer to this. Whistling Straits is a hard golf course to walk. It is hard. Uh, I bet there were a lot of people that got hurt up there following 
there, there were people I saw sliding down the hill, not wanting to slide down the hill. <laughs> you know, they, they, they had a little bit, uh, maybe a couple too many beers uh, or something like that. And, uh, but you know what, Wisconsin people uh, and the U.S. people turn out for that Ryder Cup. And it was, it was a great atmosphere. And, and uh, we couldn't, like I said earlier, we couldn't ask for anything more. It was a special experience for sure. Well, we both know Herb Kohler very well. He's been yeah. so good at golf. I was so happy for him that Whistling Straits looked amazing on TV. And then the American team just rose to the occasion with yeah. your great leadership. So uh, yeah. thanks for being on Be the Right Club today, Steve. I don't know how many times we'll say, Be the Right Club today. We <laughs> say that. My daughters say it. I'll say it. That's uh, one of the most iconic uh, uh, little sentences in the game of golf. So uh, when I saw the name of your podcast, I'm like, why wouldn't it be called that, right? So thanks for having me on, Hal. Chase, appreciate you guys having me. Steve, thanks so much. Be the right club today. Yes!